being able to take something from like napkin all the way till production, like coming off the line to people's homes, that experience was incredible. And I think that led the, that really paved my path to helping me understand myself a little bit better and what I really enjoy. I always come back to that because there's always stuff in a career where you're like, okay, these aren't things I want to do. But having that why always in your heart is super valuable, right? That will be your North Star, that guiding principle that you can always go back to when times are tough. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Mom, I Got This with Stanford Women in Design. I'm Em. And I'm Iz. And we're rising sophomores at Stanford online, trying to navigate the world of design post-college. And you guys, we're definitely beginners here. So we're super excited to let our curiosity guide our discussion on how other successful women have figured out what the heck they wanted to do. And created the lives and careers they love. Today, we are beyond excited to have Iris Yan with us to help guide you through the intersection of tech and design. We ask her questions like, what is it like to be a designer at Apple, one of the most recognized consumer product companies in the world? How has your love of music and performance affected your life as a designer? And what was it like starting your own company in college? We can't wait to find out what we'll learn from her story. So let's jump into the conversation. Yeah, sure. So I actually am currently in the Bay Area, um, despite quarantine stuff. I'll talk a little bit about my background. I have been currently a product manager for a few years, but I've done a bunch of different things in my career. I am currently at a smart home company, but before that I was working in virtual reality. And before that I was a designer and an engineer at Apple. So I've done a bunch of different career changes um, and love design that was originally my background. So I'm really excited to talk to you guys a little bit about some of the career choices I've made, you know, bumps along the way and all of that today. Well, we're so excited to hear what you're going to have to say. You seem like you've gone through a few different paths in your life um, and it's exciting that this all started with you being a designer. So we're curious when you were maybe high school, college, maybe even before, what did you think you wanted to be and how did that influence how you went about the whole process of finding your career? Yeah, that's actually, that's a huge one because in high school and just growing up, I was doing something very, very different. So um, I had some really big passions in my life that was mainly around music. So I actually thought I was going to be a violinist. And so I, I played violin since I was six and I had a huge injury, which actually changed my, the course of my, my life. Um, oh, wow. The second thing was I was really into policy as well. So very, very different. I thought I was going to be either a violinist or go into politics, um, which who knows down the road, but you know, that was definitely not anything to do with design. So, you know, I think going to college was the first chance I had at learning about and exploring other uh, potential avenues. And I, I definitely am very lucky because I know a lot of colleges don't necessarily allow that flexibility, but luckily at, at Stanford, you know, I was able to explore a little bit and they really encouraged that. So I, I've learned about design and creativity and impact have been very important for me. So 
I was able to kind of translate what I had in music and kind of transfer that over to design. It's so exciting how exploration and design thinking are so central at Stanford. That's really great that you were able to use that to find your passion. Right, exactly. Yeah, I definitely agree. I took an ESF class, which is a requirement at Stanford, and it was kind of about what role education plays in people's lives. Um, And I found that so incredibly interesting because it really shifted how I thought about like what I'm getting out of Stanford rather than necessarily like going to college for a degree. There's so much more about like discovering who you are and what you want to do. I mean, I guess that's kind of a a known thing, but I hadn't really realized the extent to how um, larger role that would play in my life. But yeah, so could you tell us a little bit about your experience in college? Yeah, so it's interesting. I you know, I injured myself earlier when I was a violinist, and then I actually became an opera singer, which is a whole nother saga. <laughs> but so I was doing that at Stanford, and because it was in the Bay Area, I'm actually originally from Los Angeles, but moving to the Bay, I actually didn't get much exposure to tech from where I was growing up. It was a very homogenous community. And being in the Bay really helped me understand this whole nother world of tech. And I think. Stanford, because it's super tech focused, I I thought this is one of the best places in the world to explore and learn this this whole area. And so I think just being at the epicenter of tech uh, really helped me become exposed. Um, There were some classes at Stanford where I'm sure you guys both know, but our listeners that are really pivotal courses where you learn um, design and you're exposed to that where you start making things um, and you do all sorts of crazy things like building bridges and it's kind of like uh, some of the best classes you take when you're in high school and middle school where you're doing egg drops and stuff like that but really inspiring you to play again and understand what design could be uh, from just an exploratory exercise so I think those classes really inspired me and and helped me see how to start creating things Um, and again impact and all of that was very important to me and I had this kind of existential moment where I was sitting in policy classes and and this is not the same for everyone no knock on policy right but I think for me I was just having a really tough time seeing how me listening to professors and regurgitating their theories around policy was going to directly translate to tangible impact for people and in solving problems in the real world. So I just had a tough time seeing my individual impact at that level. So I, Mm -hmm. I, you know, something seemed off. So I made a switch over to engineering and then, and then to design ultimately, because I wanted to figure out how to start building things and seeing more tangible impact. Um, There were some specific classes along the way, but I think it was that aha moment of just being like, I I don't know how, you know, writing my feedback on policy is going to necessarily affect change as an individual level, so. That's so interesting that you're bringing up your experience with politics. Our first guest, Lisa K. Solomon, who had an amazing, amazing insights in all this, actually was interested in policy as well at the beginning and then shifted (laughs) to design. So funny to see those. Yeah, those commonalities. Mm-hmm. But yeah, definitely. 
Yeah, I really loved what you said about how exciting it was for you to be in college and be allowed and encouraged to play in your classes. Mm -hmm. And outside of the classroom, play is a very big theme at Stanford as well, as I'm sure some listeners know. So what other extracurriculars did you do outside of the classroom to enhance this feeling of play or pursuing your dreams and interests? Yeah, so a few things. I was doing a lot uh, maybe more than I should have. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I would say as a student, given the opportunity to even be in a collegiate environment is I, I would encourage our listeners, like one of the huge things that I've learned just retroactively looking back is that there's no moment where you're like, okay, I got this. Let me keep going. Having a breadth and being willing and open to exploring is honestly, the, my saving grace in terms of how I got there, right? Like your ability to keep exploring and to not give up when you're like, okay, these things don't necessarily fit. That part to me is like the huge reason for how I got to where I am. And so I did a bunch of different things. And I think more than probably the average person in campus, and I might not recommend it for everyone, but I want to encourage our listeners to also make sure that you're filling your time with academics and a bunch of extracurriculars because they they really help you uh, think differently. And, you know, your experience at college is not just your academics. It's also the friends you make, the communities you find, the exposure you have. And so I, I did, did a bunch of different things. I, from joining a business frat to kind of pursuing opera as well. So I was in actually a in the opera program at Stanford. And then I also did a acapella group. I was lucky enough to get into this very prestigious acapella group that is focused on um, post-apartheid movement and, and diversity and all of the atrocities that happen in South Africa. So very different stuff. And then the other thing is I asked myself before I leave campus, how do I help set up other women's lives so that they are better equipped in the field of design. So I actually started SWID, Stanford Women in Design, with a a good friend of mine. And, you know, I I really wanted to bring a community together. So I I also spent a lot of my time doing that as well. Yeah, I love what you were talking about. I think that exploration is so huge. And I love how you kind of touched on just being curious and really being open to these things that you were interested in. Um, but and on how- that, sometimes stumbling into spaces can be the best way to find them, right? That's what yeah. we found chatting with all these amazing women. Yeah. That, mm-hmm. Oftentimes it's, it's the exact opposite of what you planned that takes you to where you are. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, let's talk a little bit about how you ended up starting SWID. What was the process of the realization, this is what I want to do. I mean, how did that come into your life? Yeah. So, you know, I think having that exposure to talisman and even in my backstory, I had these events in my life where looking back, they kind of make sense to where they led me to founding Swig back in my junior year. But I think I didn't connect the dots until kind of this podcast, kind of thinking about it. Um, And I think that 
my background in my community that I grew up, it was very homogenous. And I actually got taken out of school for a little bit. And I actually was living in China for a year and I was doing public school there. And I came back and I was like, wow, my worlds are completely different. They've changed so drastically in terms of my community, right? Everyone looks so different. That realization of diversity on a very grand scale at an early age was something that really shook me. And mm-hmm. even coming to Stanford, right? Like there's such a range of, of students and in colleges in general, there will be a huge range um, of types of people um, depending on where you go. And at Stanford, I had already my junior year done a few internships. I had just come out of an internship where I was working at an automotive company from Germany and everyone kind of looked similar. And I, I didn't necessarily do the stereotypical design internship, but I had started seeing just in my classes, people were getting invited that all kind of looked the same, whether that's, you know, gender or a race, but there was just a very typical uh, person from these design firms that were coming in and nobody looked like me. And I was kind of surprised. I, I had thought, you know, there's so much talk about diversity these days, but but these are people now like a generation before us and still everything at the top looks the same. And how did that make you feel as a student sitting in those rooms, seeing people that didn't represent you? Yeah, completely disconnected. You know, I think that there's like the obvious elephant in the room it, in my mind that, okay, how am I going to, I'm pr- trying to pursue this career in design and I want the best chances at success and to be able to give and be given equal opportunity. How am I going to get there if, if this person's advice, their stories don't necessarily, you know, come back to me, right? I can't necessarily map them out and use that same advice. I'm Asian female, uh, minority, and how am I going to map that back, right? I'm going to have a lot of different dynamics in, in the professional world that I'll have to deal with. And I think that was this disconnect. And I brought some friends together and was like, you know what, before I leave, I have to set this up because even no matter what I do in my time, I know SWIFT will continue and someone will see the value in it and pick it up. And this thing, this living, breathing thing will keep going so that we can start assembling generations after me where there's more opportunities, there's community to collaborate, there's women supporting each other and, and you know, allies as well. Anybody is welcome to join, but that was really important to me to, to set up in place for future students. Yeah, and I think also something that when, when you don't have people around you that you feel you can relate to, mm-hmm. um, getting advice from those who you don't relate to can be really valuable because it can understand, you can better understand where they're coming from, but it can also be difficult because if you have a certain background, you probably won't react the same in the situations as somebody else might. And so their advice, the implementation of that in your life would look very, very different. And because it would look so different, I think sometimes I find myself asking, how can I know that this will be what's best for me? And so how can I know that this is something that I should implement? And I think that goes back to experimenting and all of that. But 
really speaks to why it's so incredibly important to be able to look at both sides of the equation. Hundred percent. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. You can really relate to, and that needs yeah. to be there. That just needs to be there. Mm-hmm. But um, there is also a lot of value in the other side of it. But yeah, I absolutely, yeah, absolutely, one hundred percent agree. Yeah. Like I think stumbling into SWID was so incredible for me because it allowed me to get advice and see people's roadmaps that I really respected and and wanted to be like and felt really similar to because we all shared this common interest. So I I Mm -hmm. think that it has really done what you um, set out to do, which I love. And we hope that people listening too are able to relate even deeper to your particular experience with it, right? Mm -hmm. As you said, I hope that other people can relate to your experiences more so than they might relate to anybody else's experience in SWID. We really try to try to find guests that all had different backgrounds and experiences so that we can help spread that to other young women who might be feeling like you did in college that they don't see their voice um, spoken about or heard. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of founding SWID, that sounds like a really important decision in your life and one that carries mm-hmm. a lot of legacy. Is there perhaps another moment that looking back, you see it as a crossroads that you face? Yeah. A decision, big or small, that ended up changing your life? Yeah, so I think the there's a capstone course at Stanford um, that's focused on building your own product and kind of bringing that to market. And at that point, I hadn't. I've been working in internships. I was doing research. I hadn't necessarily fully fledged built my own product at some point. And that class to me was a, a crossroads. Um, it allowed me to see how much I enjoyed the whole product realization process, um, being able to take something from like napkin all the way till production, like coming off the line to people's homes. Um, that experience was incredible. And I think that led the, that really paved my path to helping me understand myself a little bit better and what I really enjoy and kind of led up to all the choices I've made in my career after. Um, I always come back to that because there's always stuff in in a career where you're like, okay, these aren't things I wanna do, but having that why always in your heart is super valuable, right? That will be your North Star, that guiding principle that you can always go back to when times are tough. And I think that finding that is really, was really encouraging for me. Yeah, and I think it really speaks to also what we were kind of saying about the advice is truly at the end of the day, no one else Mm -hmm. is going to take responsibility for how your life has turned out. Like that's all on you and no one else is going to be able to, to guide you in the best way because you know yourself and you know um, where you want to go and also where you've been. Um, you have to hold your own hand. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's, um, really great to get advice from other people, but also, um, really important to know who you are. So, you know, when to take advice and when not to take advice, because that's also important. Mm -hmm. Um, but I'm curious, was this when you started free flip during the capstone? Yes, that's correct. Can you talk a little bit about how you came up with that idea, what the idea is, all that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we actually, it was me and my co-founder, we're actually roommates for a few years at Stanford, so it was was 
it was a crazy experience because we converted our entire bedroom to a manufacturing <laughs> production line. <laughs> we bought our, all our tools, et cetera. It was, a, it was a pretty fun ride. But yeah, so there's this capstan course at Stanford. And the goal of the class is to help you apply everything you've learned to creating a product and bringing it to market. And product being a very expansive term, there's a lot of different projects that came out of that, but we had really wanted to focus on understanding how to give people like this universal gift, what that looked like. We found that giving a gift to somebody can be a very emotional and potentially unnerving experience. A lot of times from the receiver side, the person giving the gift, it's unclear what people want, right? And so at any point in time, whether you know the person really well, but whether you don't, I think there can be a lot of difficulty around that and emotions involved. So we were finding so many different insights around our user research when we first came up with this problem statement, like it's difficult to give gifts. What does a universal gift look like? Or something that kind of meets the general need of people. And so we went through the entire product realization process. We're doing the user research, the ideation, all of the bubbles on the um, design process that Stanford puts out. And we ultimately came up with this flipbook where you would take 10 second clips or more and, you know, drop that in our portal on our website and give us your video. And we would actually just create a flipbook for you, custom made, really like nicely curated. So not like- What a good a- idea. <laughs> Yeah, that's so cute. I want. I would love to receive that. Yeah. So I mean, it was a it was a fun project. We ultimately our sales were actually went through the roof. We raised a lot of funds for it. Uh, We did our own marketing. uh, We created our own digital product. We partnered with the engineering school at Stanford um, to create a mobile app, etc. But that whole process, you know, at the end of the year, it was. It was an amazing experience. We, we had no idea going to it that we would actually be doing so well. So I think that was an amazing opportunity for us and um, definitely impacted me in terms of my thoughts about my future, so. Yeah, I was just gonna ask, how did that shift your mindset about going out into the world? Yeah, so after that, I kind of, I got a taste of you know entrepreneurship. Um, and I, I had left that summer after a year, I was actually doing research at a robotics and medical device uh, lab at Stanford, um, as well as doing this company. And I, so I was doing both. And then I, I started just thinking about, wow, I'm, I'm not totally equipped to know how to scale this company. I'm not sure what, how to build up this business model. And those were the questions I was struggling with. And at the time I, I had always, it had been my dream to work at Apple because of such an iconic Bay Area tech firm, so ingrained in the, in the design community um, that really changed what consumer electronic design looked like. So that had always been a huge dream of mine, but I had this tugging question of how do I make things scale? How do I create and build up a business model that that makes sense, that's efficient? Um, because everything we had done at Reflip was very scrappy. It was like, mm-hmm. let's just throw paint at the wall. Mm-hmm. 
but there is a point at any company's life that there, there's an inflection, right? Where you have to learn how to scale. Um, but I didn't know how to do that yet. So I, I thought to myself, okay, it would be a good opportunity for me to figure out if I can go interview somewhere um, at a very big corporation to understand how do you continually build high quality goods at scale and consistently like surpass what you've done the year before and surprise and delight consumers, which Apple does. So <clears throat> I had interviewed at Apple um, and I surprisingly got a position there on the iPhone ops team, but it wasn't design. And I can talk a little bit about that, but um, I just want to throw in here, Iris, you have just a huge smile on your face talking, thinking back to reflip yeah. and thinking, talking about design and all of this stuff just makes you glow. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious going to a huge company like Apple, like you said, you're so curious about how do you scale these goods? How do you make sure every single millions of people are enjoying and delighted in their product? But a complication of this, what I'm wondering is at such a huge company, could you still find delight in design? Was this creativity part of your every day or was it in some ways suppressed or restricted by being at such a huge company? Emily, that's such a good question. You, yeah, you definitely have, hopefully, you know, you've been thinking about this as well, but that's such a good question. And I think for our listeners, um, hopefully they can learn from this. You know, I think joining Apple, I was always the dream for me for, uh, a while just being in the Bay Area and I had interviewed, I went through the entire rigorous interview process, seven interviews, did a few on-sites and I, I finally got the offer and I think coming in, I had a very different view of what I was going to be doing and, and for perhaps uh, it was misrepresented by what I had thought. So <clears throat> I, I loved working at Apple and the idea of it, but coming in, I was actually joining the iPhone operations team and either my naivete at the time or something, I didn't quite know what that was. Like, you know, I, I came from product design. I thought I was going to do some design stuff. Maybe they pitched it to me a little bit that way, but boy, did I not know, you know, ops is very different. It's a, it's once the product has been defined, then you're going to uh, go and execute on bringing that to fruition. So it's kind of the back end process. Um, but I will say, little did I know that that stuff that I learned in the team is was super helpful for for what I'm going to do, you know, what I've been doing today. So although it was not what I expected, I think it's definitely helped me um, to where I am today. It's very different than design. So I wasn't doing much design at all. I was building up a UX research program, the largest one at. Apple for the iPhone for success and oh, wow. seven launches. And that was where I got my creativity and I could still bring that in, which was honestly my saving grace. So that part was nice. I did crazy things where <laughs> I came up with crazy ideas where we were actually testing the force touch of the phone where you can actually Ooh, press. I a love that bit. feature. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I did things like trying to test out all situations in terms of real life scenarios, right? And so I had crazy ideas um, <clears throat> to, you know, have people dip their phone in water, run across these conference rooms. And these are like engineers, the best engineers at Apple just running around. And then I had really like yoga great. mats and I, and I had people laying down, force touching on their phones. 
and in changing the angles and all sorts of directions to test out, you know, are there any edge cases? Are there any errors that are happening on the phone? And so I think that was a really good uh, part where I'm still being creative, but not necessarily in design and product realization, but more in the small microcosm of the UX research program I was running. So yeah, and then, yeah, go ahead. I think, and also it goes back to what you were talking about um, with what you really loved about the product design uh, major was that it just brings fun and enjoyment to every aspect of what that product is doing. So to the designer's life, to the engineer's life, and then to the consumer's life, it's, right. <laughs> it's making people like life, which is such a good thing. So can you continue telling us a little bit more about design at Apple Iris Dive Deeper? Yeah, so after, you know, doing the ops team at Apple for a year and a half, I actually transitioned to a design team. And so I was actually working on the product design team for retail store displays and packaging. And that actually was an amazing experience where I was actually getting to own my designs, uh, work with the industrial design team, building and engineering out a lot of the, the packaging and the different displays at Apple. So that was an incredible experience. I was actually doing a lot more of the creative component of design. Whereas the ops team I was doing, I was not really doing any design at all, so. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like your acapella background, whether possibly it's working in a group or just how music makes you think, do you, has that impacted your work at Apple at all? Yeah, I think that in general, music is all about kind of expressing and bringing a experience to to consumers or to who is in your audience which is in design in product is your consumer and i think that part has translated really well because you know that musician in me is that designer in me which is i always want to deliver an incredible experience delightful experience and I think the same thing in design, you want to be able to delight your user with the experience you're giving. And I think that that part of music definitely translates over uh, really nicely. Yeah. That's a great connection. I love it when people can go back and connect everything together. Yeah. So this kind of brings us to the conclusion of our chat today. It's been so wonderful to talk to you. We have a closing question that we like to ask all of our guests. We call it a mom, I got this moment. Something looking back in your past where you really took a risk, you took a leap of faith, perhaps voices in your life who were influential, maybe your parents or somebody else were saying, are you sure you want to do that? Like this, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Like, no, I got <laughs> this. Um, I don't know is if you want to add anything else to that question. Yeah, I think that um, oftentimes this can lead people to a dream place or a place that they're really excited about going. And that passion is what drives um, the bravery in that decision. And mm -hmm. so I'm wondering what that moment was and if that did end up bringing you to a dream position in a career or just in your life. Yeah. Or perhaps it was a learning moment. That is yeah. totally a good direction to take it too. Yeah. So it's actually funny and very fitting for the podcast title because it came directly from my mom and my dad. So my parents, while I was transitioning from music and policy and I had brought the news to my parents that I would 
probably not be a musician and uh, <laughs> policy was probably not for me. Um, they always had seen me in a certain light. And I think it was kind of tough for them to hear uh, that I'd be doing design and engineering. They never saw me that way, right? So it was tough. And they actually, they said, you know, if, if anything else fails, we, we think you should go back to Italy and learn how to make violins, right? You should just be a violin maker or something. Wow. And just, very just different direction. Very, very different direction that I would just kind of, they would see me in a way of just being a violin maker or a singing opera in Italy. Um, and I was just like, mom, you know, I, I think I basically said, mom, I got this, you know, like, don't worry that I had enough conviction to move forward. And, and I think that's huge, right? It, a lot of times we have to go against uh, our grain of our parents, our familial pressures, our friends, kind of changing and reinventing who we are. And I think we should be continuing to do that. And we are here for one life and we're living our own life. And our goal here is to figure out what's right for us. So I had to do that for my, my parents. Sorry to break your heart. Not going to be a violent maker in the future. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you still live in Italy. Who knows? Right. That was such an inspirational note to finish our chat. I really appreciated what you said. I find that it, you're really right. Sometimes you do just have to, especially when you're young, just take that chance and do what you need to do. And even sometimes tell yourself that, hey, I got this. I can do it. So that was wonderful. Thank you, Iris. Of course. Yes. Thank you guys so much. We want to thank you, our listeners, for listening. You're always welcome to pull up a chair with us on Mom, I Got This. A big shout out to our music composer, Tony Rodriguez. If you loved all the tracks you've heard as much as we do, check out his stuff on Spotify and Apple Music. Thank you to the awesome girls in the Swid marketing and design teams for our beautiful graphics. And of course, another huge thank you to Swid, the advisory board, and our president, Nicole Orsak, for making the process so easy and enjoyable. Join us next time as we chat with two savvy recent Stanford grads about how they're combining sustainability, design, and fashion. They also give some amazing firsthand advice for young aspiring designers when it comes to things like portfolios and social media accounts. It's our season one finale and a super fun conversation you don't want to miss.